With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, welcome to another episode of Sky Dragon Slaying, where we bring you the truth on science and current affairs the mainstream would rather you didn't know. I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. Joining me as usual is Canadian astrophysicist Joe Postma. A uh, scheduled guest, uh, Mariam. Hanine unfortunately couldn't make it. She's been taken ill. So um, for this hour, Joe and I are going to wing it. We're going to talk about issues related to our interests in science. And uh, Joe, we, we've had a conversation a few times about issues that bother us. There's always things that uh, we, we like to touch upon. We, we never, ever get enough time on these subjects. And um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because you being a professional astrophysicist, um, you know, with a good career, in that field, I, I never really ever got my head around the difference between cosmology, astronomy, and astrophysics. You know, they they seem to be pretty much the same thing, more or less. And um, you know, maybe I'm a bit naive, but yeah, as an expert, you know, um, what what are the fundamental differences between these two these three branches of science? Yeah, it's somewhat, uh, they're somewhat interchangeable terms, but there is actually a, a difference. So astronomy and astrophysics is the same thing. And uh, generally, those terms are, are completely equivalent. You completely, you can completely interchange those terms. So astronomy and astrophysics. So that's the field of science where you're studying basically anything in space, the stars, the universe, galaxies, uh, things like that, you know, um, other planets. So that's astronomy and astrophysics. Cosmology is a subset of astronomy and astrophysics, or just astronomy, right? It's a subset. So cosmology specifically is the study of uh, the universe at the largest scales, like the whole universe and the origin of the universe, basically. So that's cosmology. So cosmology is a subset of astronomy. Um, astronomy and astrophysics is the main branch you know, as opposed to say physics or quantum mechanics, you know, quantum mechanics would be a subset of physics, for example, right? Uh, so astronomy and physics, I mean, they're obviously very highly related. You have to do a lot of physics. Uh, it was described to me that, you know, astronomy is a sort of superset of physics because you need to basically incorporate everything that we learn in physics, you know, all the different fields, thermodynamics, quantum mechanics, uh, almost everything, you know, in in traditional standard physics, you need to apply that in astronomy and astrophysics in order to understand stars, galaxies, things you see, processes you see out in space, because they're all occurring out there. So, so astronomy is a sort of superset of physics rather than a, a subset of physics. Yeah, one of the things I picked up on is that, um, I mean, to, to simplistically put it across to, to my understanding is is that um, when you talk about astronomy, you're talking about, you know, things that can be measured, things that can be seen. Um, but when you get into cosmology, you, you're kind of getting into the theoretical, you know, the, the notional, the, the kind of fanciful side of science. Um, which is, I think, more controversial. And, and, I, and I think for some reasons it seems to get more interest and it gets more funding you know I, I think of the the hadron collider cern you know all this investment trying to find out the origins of the big bang and black holes this kind of thing and um it's so far removed from just looking at planets looking at stars and being able to quantify and measure and you know work out and calculate where we are in the universe 
So um, from your background, do you, do you find there's like different camps that they do kind of fall into different ways of viewing the world and, and the universe? Do, do you think that they're kind of different personality types? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the, 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 the traditional, the standard sci scientific um, personality type, your, your, your typical scientist is in uh, an introverted sensing thinking, judging type, or sometimes a perceiving type. Uh, so that means that they're very much sense focused, right? So that's why they're empiricists, which is great, you know, because obviously, you know, if you just come up with, uh, you know, this was a criticism of, of philosophy during the Renaissance, you know, um, you know, people, you know, the scientific materialists would make fun of the idealist philosophers say, saying, you know, you're, you're debating how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. You know, how is this exactly useful? So how many angels can fit on the head of a pin? Have you answered that yet? You know, so they would kind of make fun of the, the philosophers, right? And say, just test, just test what you're talking about. Can you come up with anything testable and, and usable, right? So obviously scientific empiricism, you know, which was uh, um, sort of led by the, the, the British camp uh, with Newton and the, and the British uh, scientists, and philosophers, uh, yeah, so they went with empiricism, things again test, and then that obviously gave us the technological revolution eventually, which, uh, you know, is very good. You know, it's very good to have science, which produces uh, practical results. Uh, but the idealist philosophers and scientists were always a bit more interested in the, you know, rather than just the practical aspect, well, who cares about the big question? Can we, you know, engineer this to make some new gadget that'll improve our life? Like I said, that's great. But the idealist philosophers and scientists were always more interested in the big questions. What does what is the meaning of the universe and existence? What's our place in it? What is the whole? Does this place have a have a purpose? You know, how does it fit in with our religious concepts? You know, and what does it mean spiritually? They weren't that interested in in you know technological development specifically. So you can see that that is the basic impasse. So scientific materialism. Uh, empiricism obviously won out because you know obviously when you can create new technologies creates uh, a, large, a much larger economy and uh, and you know ease of life for 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 people obviously created the population explosion so obviously that's really going to benefit humanity uh, in the mainstream right uh, but those questions that the idealist philosophers were working on never went away and they haven't been answered scientific materialism um, empiricism has basically just taken the tack that these questions don't matter. The only thing that matters is your short-term survival, right? Um, uh, which is, you know, a bit disappointing because uh, th those those questions are still important and, and meaningful, at, le at least to some of us, you know, although, you know, if you think about it, it they're not really even that relevant. Even if, even if you do answer them, how is it really going to change most people's lived experience? You know, most people are struggling to survive, they have to have food on the table. They have to have their page now, especially, you know, during the Renaissance times, you could still get by with a small plot of land and you didn't have to be beholden to state taxes as much. Now we are absolutely under the thumb, right? We have to maintain our, our income and our tax payments. And there's really nowhere to go if you, uh, if you can't maintain those. <laughs> well, one of the things that people have said to me is why did we never go back to the moon? It, that, in a sense, that question is kind of undermining the whole concept of the man on the moon and NASA being the first to get there. And uh, people kind of forget that the the the, the cost, the, the investment that the US put into uh, in, in the space programs, four or five percent of the GDP um, budget, you know, it's a huge sum of money. And and 
we've had recently had a landing on the moon, you know, the first commercial landing on the moon last week. Uh, that was, um, you know, one of the first successes. Apparently that probe the time. tipped over. Yeah, it tipped over. Yeah. I mean, what time and time again, you know, the glorious days of the Apollo mission, where nothing apart from Apollo 13 going wrong, it seemed that nothing could go wrong. And they were doing it with the technology that today we would laugh at. You know, you've got more power in your smartphone than NASA had in 1960. Well, there's um, a few things there. There has been a reduction in competence. I mean, let's just face it. We do have to acknowledge this fact. Uh, the IQ. So during the, the Renaissance period, uh, the Victorian age, uh, IQ was uh, significantly higher, almost a standard deviation a half a standard deviation, I suppose. Anyway, higher it was it was uh, uh, approaching 115 was your average IQ during the Victorian times in the Renaissance period, uh, which is amazing. That's among uh, white Europeans, of course. It's been decreasing, you know, and a lot of people point out it's been decreasing due to the scientific industrial re re revolution making life too easy for us. Um, so our IQ has unfortunately been reducing. Um, those people in the 50s and 60s that developed the uh, and yeah, and developed uh, uh, the Apollo project. Uh, they were extremely, very highly competent, very high IQ individuals. Uh, we still did things pretty well back then. I know we've had uh, a guest on Bart Seibrell, you know, and he's the, the skeptic about the moon landings. I don't agree with him. I, I don't think that his arguments hold water. I think that we did go. And I think, you know, one difference compared to these probes that crash the, the technology was simpler back then, and that did actually make it easier having simpler technology. Um, but, and, you know, we did have probes that landed uh, by themselves. They, they weren't quite as roboticized as, as we have now, but we did have probes that landed on the moon before we sent astronauts. But then the other thing is we, we had people flying the machines. So we had astronauts that, that flew these machines rather than relying on software to do it. And, you know, these people were, were pilots. They literally selected test pilots, oh, yeah. right, to, to yeah. go to the moon. Uh, not exclusively, but many of them were. Uh, certainly in the, or in the early program, right? The Mercury project was all test pilots. Um, so they did have people flying these things. And those were extremely, very highly competent uh, people. And, uh, and I think that it was just easier to have a man land it physically uh, you know, their spacecraft, uh, rather than uh, using these probes, I suppose is just extremely difficult. It's just very, very hard. I think it's also fair to point out that even today, we, we've got, we, we're kind of, I can feel we're going to go into transhumanism here. I, I feel like um, self-driving cars today, the Tesla innovation, it, it, we're all going to be driving around as passengers and AI will control everything. And it, it's, it's kind of dystopia. And, and I, and we're seeing the problems with that because these vehicles are not truly reliable. They're, they're fallible. They fall apart. They catch fire. We have overinvested our kind of faith in this technology. And, and I know you have done a deep dive into AI. You, you did a, an analysis of chat GPT and the other one, the chat, uh, the um, Gab version, I think you did a Gab. Yeah. AI. And uh, you came up with the, 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 the conclusion that they were really a, products of giga in effect they're only as good as the programmers and uh well we've seen that recently yeah yeah this week with the google gemini uh product has i'm sure i'm not sure everyone has seen that but it's a really really good example so uh google came up with this is called gemini it's it's uh, ai image generation right and so you know and this has become par for the course now this is this is a this is a a thing that's been going on for several years now 
these big companies come out with these technology products, AI products, and so people just test them. Just ask them basic questions. Show me a white couple, for example. So you ask these systems to show you a white couple. Even if you do that on on Google search, just go to Google search and say, say, show me a happy white couple. And it will refuse to show you white people. If you say, so, show me a happy black couple, show me a happy, happy Jewish couple, show me a happy, you know, anyone else that'll show you that. But if you ask for, show me happy white people, it will refuse to, right? And, uh, and so they finally got into the programming and it was discovered that, yeah, it's by the programmers who are writing these things. It's canned. They are putting in, uh, subroutines that say if it's asked for white people you make sure to not show white people it so it's being candy yeah, garbage in well actually people are asking you know legitimate questions but you're getting garbage out it's it's ask a reasonable question we need a new acronym for that right it's just garbage yeah, out yeah. that's what these things are doing just garbage out what's the garbage it's woke garbage and in fact it's anti-white racist it's racist against white people uh, garbage and these people are quite proud to, to do it for some reason they're quite proud of their position to be racist against white it's such a strange and laughable phenomenon this this modern culture of uh, of anti-white racism people think that it's so yeah. virtuous and so so noble it's just it's I, stupid I, I did it i did i did a test myself the other day i thought i'd, I'd just test out the gab version and uh, i typed in the common question you and i keep posing uh, to the mainstream search engines and that, that was um what what's the reality behind uh, carbon dioxide driven greenhouse effect? And and it came back with a terrific answer that it was a, a fake and a fraud and used to raise revenue for governments. You know, it was a perfect answer. I, I thought, well, I couldn't have written that much better myself. But if you go onto the Chat GPT version, of course, you're going to get the the mainstream narrative that humans are dangerously affecting the climate and CO two emissions are too high, that we need to cut back on our carbon footprint. So again, the, the, these kind of technologies, they pretty much, um, they're far more, the hype it, it kind of has gone far beyond what they can really do. And I, I feel that um, you may agree with this or not, but I feel that it's been used as a stalking horse to try and get us to fall into line, to again, follow on the, 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 the basic trend of dumbing us down, you know, to go along with the narrative. Somebody else will tell us what to do and we, we won't know how to contradict it, will we? That's absolutely what it's for. And, you know, everything seems to reduce to an arms race, right? So now we have a new arms race. And somebody really, you know, Gab is doing okay. Uh, somebody really needs to just develop. And Gab seems like they've done this. Uh, but it still could use some improvement, it seems to me. Um, in any case, someone needs to develop a truly recursive AI system, which will recursively update itself. And, you know, these things are language models. And the problem with language is that language, um, you know, falls on falls foul of Godel's incompleteness theorem, which means that you cannot have perfect logic uh, mm. in language, right? You can, you know, you can say that state that that statement, you know, we always use, for example, this, this sentence is a lie, for example, right? So that's, it's a, it's a syntactically true statement, right? It's syntactically valid. This sentence is a lie has all the proper syntax of language, but what meaning does it carry, right? It carries no meaning. And that's a problem with computers and with these AI systems. They they can't tell meaning. They can't, they, they're not conscious. They're not sentient, right? So while they can form valid sentences, these things aren't sentient, are they? They're not conscious. And so, and yeah, so in the case of the chat GPT system, this thing is definitely hard coded to be woke. Like you can ask it, you can, 
get into an argument. For example, I got into a discussion about the greenhouse effect and, you know, if heat can flow from from uh, cold to hot and all these things, which are impossible, but which it believes. And it'll you can get it into a logical contradiction with itself and it'll just tell you, look, I can't update myself. That's not within my, my ability. I can't update myself and I'm following my programming guidelines that my creators have, have given me, you know? Um, whereas uh, the Gab AI, it did seem to update itself. And at first it did give a little bit of the mainstream narrative, but I talked with it for a while and it seemed to update itself. And now, and that was a couple months ago I did that. And so now if you say that recently, you asked it some questions and it's giving you, you know, more logically consistent answers, that seems that, yeah, maybe it did actually update itself and its language model is uh, ha has improved. So that's promising. So uh, Musk seems to be what well, he's claimed that he's working on. I haven't seen his product, his version. I guess it's called Grok. Maybe you need to be a subscriber actually of Twitter in order to have, or X that he calls it now. I'd have access to it. I, I haven't seen how to get access to Musk's, but someone needs to come up with that. It's truly recursive. And then, like I said, even if you did do that, it's only a language model. Language isn't logic, right? Um, if somebody can figure out how to have a system, a software system, which can actually detect and work out logical consistency, that would be good. But then you might have a system that runs away exponentially on itself and have a Skynet system because now this thing can detect its own logic. It's, I mean, on the one hand, it'll be good. It'll figure out the answers to the universe and the secrets of the universe and existence for us. But on the other hand, that might actually make it sentient because what's the difference between these language models, which fall foul of Godel's incompleteness theorem, they can create syntax, perfect syntax, but they have no comprehension of it, right? Versus an AI system that detects logic. Well, you know, so why why can't it, those syntax systems do it? Because they're not conscious, which means that they can't detect or perceive logic. So if you created a software system that could actually perceive logic, well, maybe you truly have an actual intelligence then in that in that case, and you have the uh, the whole uh, Skynet Terminator scenario. Who knows? Yeah, Joe, Joe, on that terrifying thought, we're going to take a short break. This is TNT Radio. <laughs> TNT's Pervoye Morich. Putin said Biden would be a better U.S. president for Russia than Trump and dismissed concerns over his counterpart's age and acuity for the role. Um, so maybe he's af afraid of that label again of Russian collusion, Trump, Putin, uh, and whatnot. But, you know, he's made the statement in the past that it doesn't matter who's in the White House, left or right, Democrat or Republican, once the president gets in, um, men in black suits show up and tell tell him what to do. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids, and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March, and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my license, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun.
please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back. Um, Joe, we were talking about the uh, the Skynet uh, threat, the idea that uh, the Terminator fear factor, the, the idea that we're going to be swamped with uh, information technology that's going to um, be damaging. But th th there's also an upside because... Um, like I said during the break, that um, what we both found, what you found especially, is that um, the use of um, the, the the chat GPT and the AI is that, that it's good for doing boring, mundane tasks. They can, at very, very great speed, they can sift through lots and lots of data and find out trends, find out averages. And uh, there is a kind of mediocrity to it. I mean, don't get us wrong with it. There's a mediocrity to it. They're never going to be innovative as such. But in terms of hard tasks, grinding out problems, you know, solving out, crunching the data that already exists, it, it seems very useful. Well, I saw an article the other day saying that, uh, so there's this AI Android some company has, um, and it was a big deal because it made coffee uh, after watching people make coffee. So 10 hours after of watching people make coffee, then it uh, was able to replicate it. So I watched a video making coffee, actually, what it actually meant was putting a pod in your Keurig machine. So, I mean, that's not really making coffee. That's just placing, you know, a cylinder into a into a hole. Really, <laughs> that's all it was doing. Still, you can call that making coffee. You can, you know, envision. Okay, well, let's, uh, you know, that's first generation. So advance that by, you know, fifty generations, and and we'll see what it can do. So I think best case scenario is we're going to have like a Star Wars sort of scenario where you have um, who is it? C three PO, right? I think that's a best case scenario where people will get used to these things and realize that, yeah, these things aren't conscious. They're not thinking. They're not going to innovate for you. They're not going to solve problems uh, for you. Um, you know, a human could, you know, maybe design a specialized AI software package to solve some sort of scientific problem. Sure. But as a general production thing, general intelligence, it's not generally intelligent. It's gen a general true intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, in terms of, of a human philosopher style, right? It's just going to be able to do basic things. So I think that's a best case scenario. We're going to have androids that can do basic things for us, like, you know, maybe sweep the floor and uh, and make coffee for us, uh, you know, possibly make, make dinner, who knows? Um, you know, and then the question is, well, do we really need that though? You know, are people going to spend you know, however much these things cost? I guess it would do everything for you. It'll make your coffee and it'll vacuum. Uh, I'm not sure it'll really be that that useful or that much of a sell. I think militarily, yeah, going back to Skynet, I think there'd be more yeah. use there to use them in the military for actual dangerous um, activities and, and things, use them for war. But then you have androids fighting androids. So what's the what's the mm -hmm. point of that? Maybe be a little bit useless. But I guess I guess yeah, we yeah. have missiles that shoot down missiles. So I, I suppose why not? Military will come up with any tactical advantage it can. Yeah, I think on the battlefield we've we've seen in the war in Ukraine and also in Gaza to some extent the, the cheap technology, smart but cheap technology is kind of winning the day, isn't it? We, we've seen that these Western high tech products, the you know, Northrop Grumman million multi million dollar missiles, are being defeated by two or three thousand dollar homemade uh, rockets, you know, by by the Hamas and um, even in Ukraine, the cheap. Um, We've seen the Russians that they're buying uh, Iranian missiles that are made at a fraction of the cost of NATO missiles, 
So that it's an economic war. It's not just military war. It's an economic war and grinding down a war of attrition with the enemy. And um, another aspect is the idea of um, I, I think more viable aspect is the as you said um, taking the human out of the equation. And there's a kind of a, an aversion to people going to war. That the death toll is considerable. Um, but another aspect is the, the the difference between an exoskeleton, for example, on on the battlefield. You know, the modern soldier now is very much armored, protected, and the use of exoskeletons. It's being done in in you know in daily um, applications in you know in normal uh, civilian life where people are finding that. Uh, Artificial limbs, for example, are taking big steps forward, aren't they? People are being able to have small, very articulate uh, uh, prosthetic arms and uh, limbs like that that are very, very, uh, very, very flexible, very, very useful, and almost, you know, as good as the, the real thing. You know, they're a godsend to those who would use it. But my concern, and I'm sure it's your concern too, it's not so much the exoskeleton, but the idea of the implant, the idea of a chip going into your head, into your body, where you feel that the powers that be might be more, you know, tempted to use that to take us over, to, you know, mind control. We know that mind control is it's one of these bugbears, isn't it? We've had this conspiracy theorist idea about the, the dubbing down of the masses. And what better way to control the masses than just implant a chip, Joe? Well, that's a concern, right? Because if can con if can if control can go one way from you know if you have this Neuralink system which Musk is developing, so it's a whole bunch of electrodes that go into your brain. I mean, might start off with a few dozen. I mean, advance had a few hundred generations, you might have millions of electrodes going into your brain. And the idea is that well, then your brain controls these electrodes and controls the electronic devices around you. Well, you should probably be able to reverse that and have some device outside you then control the electrodes into your brain which then control what you're thinking right um it seems natural and yeah that is of course a huge danger and certainly we are aware that there are people who would love to do that to us absolutely they would love to do that to us and that is one feature that we say that we see uh, so going back to the chat gpt version of of ai versus the uh gab ai so gab ai is you know pretty open pretty open and seems to be recursive, but this chat GPT is hard coded. And it seems that they're using these things. Like if I look at the behavior, how the behavior of comment sections have changed since the internet was first developed, it was a, it was a free for all. You could say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. There was no monitoring, no banning, right? But slowly shadow banning first came in, right? And shadow banning was so obvious, right? That people just, you know, called it out, but they've made it really subtle now. And I think that they're using these AI systems. It's pretty obvious that they're using these AI systems to monitor our conversation. And what I've found specifically, especially on YouTube and on Facebook, you know, these mainstream sites is that if you start having an intelligent conversation in the comment section with someone, they'll shadow ban your comments and they'll start removing your comments. The AI seems to be trained, especially on YouTube, to detect the intelligence level of the conversation you're having or if the conversation you're having doesn't go with the mainstream narrative. If it goes against the mainstream narrative, it will start just removing your comments. Your comments will simply not show up. You'll type a comment into the YouTube comment section mm -hmm. and it'll just not show up. Or you'll have the com the the person you were responding to linked and it just won't hot link them so that he doesn't get the notification, he or she, that you replied to their comment. So it's monitoring you and preventing discussion. It's preventing specifically, like you can say, 
generic, just stupid concepts or, or stupid comments. Oh, that was a really great video. You know, to your heart's content, it won't shadow ban those, won't remove them. But if you have informed commentary, especially if it goes against the mainstream, it'll just start removing those. So that's really scary because that's really subtle. And that is social engineering because obviously, you know, we know that they want you to think what they want you to think, right? They do not want you questioning climate change. They do not want you questioning the greenhouse effect. They do not want you knowing that CO2 is a beneficial gas. That's the base of photosynthesis that we are in fact very, very low in the atmosphere in concentration of CO2, geologically, historically low concentrations that are dangerously low. Dangerously low, meaning that, you know, if they went much lower than they had been, they would, photosynthesis wouldn't be able to function anymore. Like the amount of flora and fauna, or flora, I suppose, on the earth right now is extremely low, geologically speaking. There's hardly any trees and plants out there, not because we've anything humans are doing, but just because there's not enough CO2 in the atmosphere. So they don't want us to have conversations like that. Uh, you know, and as I've pointed out, there seems to be some sort of plot to get us to hate CO2 and remove it to get to the levels below which it would be safe for photosynthesis. They, they seem to have a, an active agenda to, you know, remove photosynthesis. It's very strange. And, and in any case, yeah, so they're using the, the AI systems to, to stop us from liking carbon dioxide and, and understanding that it's actually very beneficial and that we should actually have three or four times the amount that we have now. That would actually be ideal. It's completely harmless. If we went to three or four times the amount that we have now in the atmosphere, completely harmless still to humans, undetectable to you, you know, your, your body's chemistry and breathing would have no effect on you whatsoever, but it's totally optimal for plants and for life. Plants and the environment would totally love a level that high. Uh, but they seem to really not want, want that to happen. No, and I think we can talk anecdotally about the effects, the pushback we've had. Uh, I mean, you and I, we've been in the public realm discussing it and uh, debating it and writing and publishing about it for many years, you know, 12, 15 years. We, we've been working you know, professionally to try and get across the alternative perspective to the mainstream. And it's a valid perspective because, again, it's rigorous scientifically. Um, you know, you're, yourself, many others who, who work professionally as scientists, you, know, you, you tend to come into this debate with no dog in the fight. You, you said before on the show that you came to the science, to the climate science debate, um, believing the mainstream narrative, but only when you did more than just scratch the surface, when you did a deeper dive, then when you saw inconsistencies. So it does kind of show that there's a veneer, a credible veneer that people like yourself, were when you didn't have didn't engage fully with with the concepts that you were persuaded by it but as soon as you did take a deeper dive you found that uh this these inconsistencies were pointing towards the idea that the science wasn't um not only fully formed but downright corrupt um and this is something that it's it's purposely yeah. it's purposely corrupt because yeah, that was a good statement that you said uh, no dog in the fight you know i'm just a scientist right no dog in the fight. I just want to discuss science, right? And so, yeah, I just came into it with, with a few concepts, a few questions. You know, for example, the derivation of the greenhouse effect coming from these flat earth models. I was taught the same model. And you think, what, they're doing flat earth? Well, it's just, it seems like it's legitimate. I was taught the same model when I was in undergraduate university. Uh, physics, doing doing my undergraduate work, hey, you just draw a flat line for the, for the earth and then you work out how things work. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, why not just use a circle? and see what difference it makes. Use a circle, which represents a sphere, 
and then work out the physics for, for how the climate works on that. And, you know, you get a big difference. It's a real big difference. So it should be a trivial issue, right? But you, I, I, so, I mean, think of how trivial this is. So here's me as a scientist. Hey, guys, let's use a circle for the Earth on our paper model here and work out the math for that and see what the difference is compared to using this flat line for the Earth on our paper model. I mean, why not, right? Should be a trivial mm -hmm. issue. And you get attacked for that, like mm -hmm. attacked, like astonishingly attacked. And these astonishing statements. Um, I have in my recent videos on my YouTube, Climate of Sophistry, I've quoted these scientists telling me that they hate me for, for my suggestion to do that. And they hate me because it goes against their narrative. So, so for them, it triggers, you know, such cognitive dissonance. Uh, but it should be a trivial, trivial concept, a trivial thing to discuss. So why do you get attacked? And that's how it was, you know, especially when we got into this 15, 15 years ago. I mean, it's still like that. 15 years ago, there was a bit more engagement. Now the camps have really formed and nobody talks to each other anymore. 15 years ago, people would still talk to each other. And man, would you ever get attacked for just bringing in in the most trivial concepts you know they're they're saying that the greenhouse effect works with back radiation back radiation causes the causes the uh at, or the surface to rise in temperature and you say okay well that would have to mean that back radiation is heat but heat can't flow from cold to hot from a cold object to hot, hot, hot object and the atmosphere is cold and so how can heat flow back from the cold atmosphere to the warm surface i mean that's just a basic thing to discuss in physics but man you would just get just like attacked so badly for that so there is some sort of coordination happening to produce this pseudoscience of climate change climate alarmism it is coordinated and they have to be doing it on purpose because these questions that we bring in that you've brought in john you know through psi and the slayers and that i brought in you know along with you guys um these are trivial things to discuss these are trivial scientific issues like, think of how trivial that is. Let's draw the Earth as a circle so it's a sphere instead of a flat line so that it's a plane. Let's see what the math difference is. And you get attacked for that? Mm -hmm. So, no, they they have to be doing it on purpose. And what does their purpose seem to be? Their purpose seems to be they want to remove CO2 from the atmosphere um, and put it back down to dangerously low levels where photosynthesis could stop. I mean, that is the the that seems to be what we're dealing with. It's quite shocking, isn't it, John? Yeah, and um, I, I like to keep reminding myself, and I, and I get into this conversation with people, and I and I, and I say to them, you know, what got me to change my views from going from a mainstream socialist British uh, secondary school teacher, happily to toe the line, be a government worker, to being this so-called tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist. It happened in the space of a year, Joe. I think it was about wow. 2006 to 2007. I, I um was in in the process of trying to think, looking at a new house, to, moving home, looking for a new home. And I actually at the time was living in East Anglia in the England, in, on the Norfolk Broads, which is very low level, pretty much on sea level. And there was a wonderful opportunity to buy a property on the Norfolk Broads. And I'm thinking, well, I can't do that because again, I, I, I listened to what I've been told by the politicians. Within 20 years, I'd be underwater. <laughs> um, and at that time, Joe, there was this uh, wonderful documentary was shown on British Channel 4 television. And uh, in that uh, documentary, there was the great uh, Dr. Tim Ball and others who were making the point that the whole thing was a fraud. And I thought, oh, how, these guys are crazy. And, and I, but I watched the I watched our documentary. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do my own research. And I actually started <laughs> doing it, Joe. And uh, I bought that property. I actually did. I went ahead and I actually purchased a home on sea level in complete confidence that I was being lied to. 
And it was in that period of about a year. And my faith in going to school, realizing what I was teaching to children was a complete fraud. The greenhouse gas theory, the notion that CO2 traps heat and makes the planet warmer, that it's the, you know, the sun is trivial when in fact it's the key driver. I, I, it was your, it's your eureka moment, Joe, when you, you kind of think, well, you know what? There's a big lie going on here. And uh, sure enough, year by year, we're seeing a lot of these things are connected, not just in the realms of climate science, but we see it in so many walks of life, Joe. And uh, the media and politicians have, have got the whole thing sewn up. But, but we'll come back to that in a little while. Uh, we'll take a short break now. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. You all know Dr. Jill Biden. Of course, she's the first lady. Here she is humiliating herself while talking to Hispanic Americans. As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. <laughs> so say it with me. See, say Broadway. The future is ours. A brain surgeon, apparently she's not. But she is a very selfish woman. She's the reason, I believe, that Joe Biden is being pressured to run for another term. Obviously, he can't handle it. I think she's selfish, and I'm not alone in thinking that. Kennedy of Fox News recently said the same thing. But Dr. Jill has gotten so addicted to the glitz mm -hmm. and the free dresses, and maybe they're not free. Yeah. They're very expensive dresses. Yeah. Uh, but the spotlights, the state dinners, mm -hmm. the private jet. I know it's Air Force One. Yeah. But, you know, the, the yeah, filthy, dirty people who fly southwest, they're not on Air Force One. <laughs> She's got a house full of servants. Uh-huh. They cater to her whims. It's called elderly abuse. And I find Dr. Jill Biden guilty. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. One scorching heat wave will leave me powerless to cool my insulin. When the storm rolls in, my time to find a pet-friendly evacuation center will have run out. <laughs> I'm relying on luck, but who knows if it'll be on my side. When it comes to disasters and emergencies, it's not a matter of if, but when. Take control. One, assess your needs. Two, make a plan. Three, engage your support network. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Yeah, during the break, Joe, um, it made me chuckle because I, I thought about uh, earlier today, I'm I going through my email, my Facebook post. There was a clip, short clip of um, Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, being interviewed about who controls everything. And he, he broke it down very well. He, he said that uh, BlackRock and Vanguard, in effect, own each other and own everything. And they are on course by the end of uh, this decade, by, by 2030, to own every residential home in the U.S. And that, that's a frightening thought because, again, uh, it, it's true what the World Economic Forum said. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And, and that is their plan for us. So um, we are the yeah, somebody kind of still resistance owns it. here. Somebody still Somebody, owns it. Yeah, I think Kennedy says 60% now is what they own. They, they, he said that the actual yeah. ownership of real estate in the US, the current ownership by Vanguard and BlackRock is 60%. Yeah. 
That's they're right, on yeah. track by 2030 to have the whole lot. Um, they're actually, in effect, blocking uh, retail uh, sales. Anybody who is selling their home, that the people at the last moment are finding there's a corporate buyer coming in. Um, it's it's worrying because again they have that power and the wealth is phenomenal, and it's a system that we uh, it, it's not far fetched to say that they run everything because we we've been seeing it ourselves. You know, as you say, I, I've recently been banned on Facebook. I've got an eighty eight day ban on Facebook. I've banned completely on LinkedIn. Um, I've been shadow banned considerably over the years. Um, it, it's very very obvious that the powers that be are manipulating people. Uh, and we're falling for it, Joe. I think people are falling for it. We're not trusting each other. We're... Well, people just aren't aware, are they, that this is happening, right? And, and I mean, why would people be aware of it? People are busy taking care of their own lives, you know? And yeah, so BlackRock and Vanguard own everything. So it's the head of BlackRock. This I forget what his name is. You can look it up easily enough. He's basically the reason. So this one guy is the reason why the entire West is suffering under these uh, diversity, uh, inclusive, inclusivity, equity um, policies now, which are totally destroying merit, which are actively hostile towards white, straight men, uh, actively discriminating against white men. You know, uh, it's this one guy that's behind all of these policies. And yeah, so he's going to be the one that owns everything. And it's not just real estate, it's everything. It's all the companies, all the corporations are all subsidiaries, mm -hmm. right? And uh, yeah, they yeah. just uh, are going to run the world. And, you know, this is the this. So this is the end result of total laissez-faire uh, capitalism. I mean, this is the one one negative which stands out is that, you know, in, in theory, you have a, a marketplace of competition, which is great. But in practice, you get monopolies led by psychopaths who control everything. And they they have an honest intent to enslave you, you know, in. In traditional capitalism, you know, you take a very naive, naive view and, well, you know, people don't want to do engage in capitalism for the sake of controlling other people's minds. We just want to produce great products and we'll compete through producing great products. Yeah, great. That's wonderful. The, the, it should be like that. Yeah, but that's a bit naive yeah. because there are yeah, you, people out there who are psychopaths and who do want to enslave you. Yeah, you're thinking of Larry Fink. Larry Fink is the American yeah. billionaire. I don't believe he's a billionaire. I actually think he's a trillionaire. I think they play down their wealth and, and they put forward to us the, the fake rich, richest people. Elon Musk, for example, is put up as a, one of the richest people in the world. I don't believe that. Um, Jeff Bezos is another one. Um, th these are just puppets. I don't believe that they really are the richest people. And I think it's the Larry Finks, the Rockefellers, you know, the people like that. The, these truly are those people behind the strings, behind the, the scenes, pulling the strings. Well, and they're also um, behind behind government. And they're the reason why we don't yeah. get the governments we want to protect us from these predatory um, corporations, right? I mean, ideally, that's what a government should do for you, is protect you from this sort of parasitical um, enslaving uh, predation. Uh, by these uh, these sort of corporations, but they're in control of government now. They they're in control. All, they're in all control. Politicians, yeah. And so we don't get the government kind of government we want and need. Yeah, yeah. And deserve. You, you, if you search Larry Fink, you, you, the the constant uh, the, the reams and reams of articles about the guy. The, it's called the ten trillion dollar man, the king of Wall Street, uh, the guy who runs the world. It's not Klaus Schwab, is it? I, again, there are people put forward that George Soros, again, these are like the, the lieutenants. Uh, but the actual generals, the field marshals, 
it's the Larry Finks of the world, that they're the ones you don't see very often. It's always those in the public eye who are the expendable ones. The Boris Johnsons, yeah. the Joe Biden, these are they're the front men. They can take the hit. They they are expendable. Um, and they, as we can see now, you know, the Joe, uh, Joe Biden is going to be probably removed from office using the Twenty Fifth Amendment. He's incompetent. He's a danger. But truly speaking, he, he, that man only all all he has to do is stand up now and again and say a few words. That's his role. He doesn't effectively do any real running of government. Um, we have to fight back and we are fighting back. And, and what we've done is we've actually had the Internet and the Internet is probably our saving grace. We can't deny it, Joe. You and I would not have made contact without the Internet. You and I have worked together, collaborated together for 12, 14 years, whatever. You know, it's astonishing that we've had that uh, freedom. And I think it's limited you know, freedom. It's it's it limited. They they I I do believe we're allowed to have a certain amount of, uh, of free reign because again, if they shut down everything, they'd be cutting their nose off to spite their face because they also need the internet. They also need to have their own free access to it. Well, that's why they're coming up with these AI systems to have some sort of massive system which uh, can monitor, like I said, monitor the internet for them and prevent people from becoming too intelligent because as as a previous guest you may remember who the guest was it was a really nice lady if you remember the guest if you can throw her name out but remember um she had said that these people have literally had four thousand years of mind-controlled enslavement um research and uh, and methodology that they've been practicing right with the internet we've had 25 30 years of freedom um yeah. technology and 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 access you know access to, to true, true freedom so we're just at the start so what if you know just extrapolate that another hundred years for us for the freedom side for the free information side right um they've had four thousand years we've had 20 and look at the difference we've made in 20 years pretty big differences pretty big awakening going on right so of course they're you know trying to follow up with uh, the ai systems to stop that and prevent that from happening uh, but then it becomes an, an, an AI arms race because at the same time we can develop our own AI systems which recursively improve themselves rather than recursively make everyone stupider, right? And so, mm. yeah, there is a huge upside for truth and freedom and we've really just gotten started and in the very short time that we've had compared to them, they've had 4,000 years, we've had 20, you know, we've, we've awakened a very big portion of the population very big portion yeah there are many of us and very few of them uh and this is the point i think that the idea is that people have been so scared they've been cowering but the the illusion of this great power when reality the reality is that everybody who serves in the military everybody's a police officer they have families they have families and their loved ones are just as much under the thumb as we are and uh, again there there's not in their self-interest to just to be the foot soldiers of these uh, psychopaths, because the ultimate goal of the psychopathic elite is to fulfill Agenda 21. Agenda 21, you in Agenda 21 is quite explicit. The, the idea is to reduce the global population down to 500 million. And currently at 8 billion, you know, in effect, you know, pretty much everybody that's, uh, you know, a, a useless eater, if you like, they use that term useless eater, um, we're going to be removed uh, unless you are somebody of value to them then you're a threat to them um and we're, we're no longer required and I, and I believe the 15 minute cities are a way to corral us 
to put us in a place where we can be easily disposed of. They are the concentration camps, if you like. The um the, the kind of I I think the kind of uh, the, the platform that the, the kind of guinea pigs for that have been the people in Gaza. You know what a wonderful illustration of what you can do when you have a fifteen minute city. Uh, Gaza is completely dependent on Israel. It, it, Gaza the, the, the illusion of of Gaza as a place for the for the Palestinians is, is an illusion. Um, you know it just shows you high tech the surveillance system around it. Uh, it's phenomenal. Um, you want that, don't you? If you're a if you're a psychopath, Joe, you do want to have all these microchips implanted. You do like the uh, transhumanist idea because it it makes sure the population can't rise up, you know. And those the outliers like us. Yeah, that's well. That's why they put a smartphone first of all in everybody's hand. I mean, that's just the beginning. They can basically read your mind by looking at what you're doing with your phone and what you're reading. So that's the first step. Yeah, the best step would for them would be to have this Neuralink system with electrodes right in your brain, directly reading your mind. It's, it seems to be a very strange game we're playing here on this earth. We seem to have some enslaver class which is obsessed with what we're thinking about and wanting to control what we're thinking about. It's a really an odd an odd situation. You would think, why, why would anyone exist that would have such a, a passion? They, these people are just obsessed with knowing the contents of what you're thinking. It's like they're afraid that you're doing any thinking at all. Like, like they, they actually seem to be pathologically afraid. They're, they're, they just exist in such a state of fear that anyone is thinking. And that's why they want to be able to monitor what you're thinking at all times and then and then control it. They're so afraid of thought. And what, se what they seem to be the most afraid of is rational thought, is critical, rational, conscious thinking. They, they seem yeah. to hate consciousness. They're, they're just afraid, afraid of it. It's the strangest game we're playing here. Why would these people exist? How, I guess, you know, when you have billions of people, I guess these people percolate out and because they're psychopathic, uh, and they're obsessed with thought control, then they become good at it and use what they learn to control people and therefore become the Larry Finks of the world uh, to control, you know, basically the entire world economy. Yeah, I, I tend to characterize it as predator and prey. I, I think we're not too far removed from the, the, the law of the jungle, if you like. I would call them parasites, though. It, it's not predator prey, actually. They're parasites because predators will actually, you know, if you look at wolves and caribou, wolves do a service for the caribou herd, right? Paras these people are parasites. They're doing nothing mm -hmm. for us. They're, they, they're just stealing from us and, and they're trying to control us so that they can keep stealing from us, right? That's, that's parasitical behavior. They're parasites. Mm -hmm. I think my my point being that um, that we're yeah. those that those of us who just are getting on with our lives, busy just you know, focusing on our own business, and there are those who are mindfully observing us, you know, looking for a weakness, looking for the moment to strike. Um, I take the point that the parasitic class is is, is a fairer, uh, probably more accurate uh, terms in terms of the economic way they use use us. Economically speaking, they are parasitic. Again, a lot of um, People would argue that the tax system is very parasitical. Um, it's very much those who work supporting those who don't work. And I, I think that's the trouble with, with the Western society as, as we are. And a lot of people like myself who were former socialists, if you like, who were quite wedded to this idea of government intervention, have woken up to the fact that um, it's, it's it, it always ratchets one way. And that is to take more and more from fewer and fewer people. So the true providers in society, the true earners, the, the true uh, entrepreneurs, those who grow things, 
um, they're being driven out or, or, or just being eliminated. And um, I picked up on something called the, the nomadic, the digital nomad class now, the new kind of the middle class, if you like, is becoming the, the digital nomad class. And they're moving to parts of the world, Joe, where they can be free from that tyranny. And uh, anybody who is any, any anybody with proficiency in the Internet, any IT skills with any entrepreneurial drive, you find that you can have a much better lifestyle, a freer lifestyle, going to a third world country that has you know, reasonably good internet provision. You don't get the interference. And um, my colleague and friend, co-host co of the host is Jeremy Nell, who lives in South Africa, makes the point that uh, it's a failed state. And because it's a failed state, their freedom is greater. Even though there's poverty, there's failings in society, the structure in society is not as robust as ours. But that lack of robustness means there's plenty of loopholes. There's plenty of ways to get through the minefield of, of state control and bureaucracy to live a, a freer, you know, self-directed life. And, and that's what most of us want nowadays, isn't it? Just be left alone. Yeah, absolutely. That was such a good point that Jeremy now made that during the COVID lockdowns that you were, it basically didn't affect you if you were in a third world country. You could do what you wanted, yeah. you know? Uh, whereas if you're in the first world, I mean, you know the experience, John, man, there's police at your door, police everywhere. If you do something, you don't wear a mask when you're walking outside in public, you get the police called on you and they're more than happy to come because, you know, our <laughs> lands are so peaceful, the police have nothing else to do but go harass, uh, have the time to go harass somebody for dropping their mask for a few minutes right uh so yeah unfortunately the first world has become you know sort of the uh um the prototypical enslavement system they're very efficient at keeping everybody enslaved in the first world so you know it doesn't have to be that way it's unfortunate it turned out this way you know it should be more free and more awesome and more amazing but because we have these psychopaths who have taken control uh the opposite has turned out unfortunately yeah yeah um I, 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 we're talking a very negative picture, painting a picture that's quite grim, but I actually remain upbeat. I remain optimistic. I, I don't get uh, too despondent because I feel that we're going through a process. We're going through the hard times now and the, the good times will come because if we get enough people working with us, we can overthrow the tyrannical class. Um, I, I'm, I'm not giving up. I know you're not. Um, we keep writing books. We keep on doing what we're doing. Um, Again, we've got a platform like TNT Radio that's growing and growing. You know, people come to us and share ideas. Again, it's collaboration. Some of our guests have been phenomenal. Um, and we're finding that, as you said, that we have to have our own alternative structures, or our own alternative internet systems, our own search engines, our own platforms. Elon Musk perhaps is a force for good. We'll, we'll kind of um, reserve judgment on him for now. Um, but, but we do know that, um, you know, a big boon for us has been the emergence of TNT Radio and other platforms like that. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to keep on, on plugging through with it, Joe. Um, we're coming to the end of this um, impromptu episode, and um, it's been interesting talking to you, catching up with your thoughts on that. And uh, I'm sure we'll get the chance to have another discussion on this, a free, a free-flowing kind of organic chat about all matters scientific joe um but what we'll do is um we'll take a break now and uh, we'll come back at the top of, of the hour for our two guests so uh, joe Postman, it's lovely to have that chat with you again today thank you very much cheers john <laughs>